If you were not here at the start of the service, welcome to you. I'm Sean, I'm one of the pastors. If you're new with us, I'd love to meet you after the service. Please uh, take some time to introduce yourself and to stick around and to get to know some folks who are here. We're going to be continuing in our sermon series that we began a couple of weeks ago on the Missio Dei. The Missio Dei is uh, simply the Latin phrase for the mission of God. It's a very well-known phrase in theological circles of which you are a part. And so last week we looked at the Holy Spirit and the mission of God. And we saw that the Spirit empowers us to believe and to participate in the mission of God. And this week we're going to be looking at the message of the mission of God. The message of the mission of God. But first I want to talk about rejection. Rejection. Between high school and college, my dad gave me a gift, and surprise, surprise, it was a book. If you can believe it, I love books. And it was a, a book, of, it was a true story about two brothers who left America to go make a life for themselves in France. It's a wonderful gift, the kind of book that I would enjoy and, and, and really gravitate to. But I gave it back. See, my dad and I were estranged at that time, and so I rejected this book. I rejected his gift. But you know, there's a face to rejection. It's personal. I wasn't rejecting my dad's gift as much as I was rejecting him. And there's a fallout to rejection. It's very profound. This kind of rejection. And even though my dad and I are reconciled today, the pain of that incident is still with me in a lot of ways. What does this have to do with the message of God's mission? We're going to get to that. But first I want to look at our rejection of another giver, God. But even before that, let's pray together. Father, please open our minds to understand this text of Scripture. And please give us hearts to hear it, to truly drink it in. Give us hearts to apply it, to understand it, to live it. Pray these things in Jesus' name. You know, it's one thing to be estranged from someone who is less than faithful. There were profound infidelities between my dad that led me to reject him. But rejection is worse in light of our fathers. That is God's faithfulness. So let's take a look at the father's faithfulness. And to do that, let's look at this sample sermon that Paul preaches here in the book of Acts in our passage. Now, we said last week that the message of the mission was for Jews and Gentiles. So what that means for us today is that the message of the mission of God is for all people. And so here is a sample of that message as Paul preached it to the Jews. Paul and his companions in verse 13, they leave the island of Cyprus. They head north to Asia Minor, that's modern-day Turkey. They make their way inland to Pisidian Antioch. There they end up at synagogue, and they're invited to speak after the reading of the law and the prophets, verse 15. So Paul stands and speaks, verse 16, and he tells the story of the Jews. He's preaching to, do, to Jews, so he tells their story. And like any good story, there is a theme, there is a thread that runs through that story from beginning to end, tying it together. And what is that thread in this story? It is the thread of God's faithfulness. 
verse 17. God graciously chose a people, Israel. God grew them during their stay in the land of Egypt. God saved them. With uplifted arm, he led them out of Egypt. God settled them, verse 19. After destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All of this is a picture of God's faithfulness to his promises. God said he would be their God and they would be his people, going all the way back to Abraham. He repeated this refrain again and again and again. And what God was showing them in this story through this thread of faithfulness was that he was their God, that they were his people. And then the faithfulness continues. After a period of time, under various judges, verse 20, God chose a king. Not Saul. That was the people's choice. But God chose David. Verse 22, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. There's that thread again of faithfulness again and again and again. And God is faithful to his promises. Or is he? You know, part of the promise to David was that his offspring would reign forever. Forever. But it had been 500 years, the time of Jesus, it had been 500 years since a descendant of David had reigned in any real sense. I'll give you an understanding of what this felt like for them at the time. Are there any English royalty buffs out there? Anybody who's sort of obsessed? I know you're ashamed to raise your hand. There's one right there. Uh, you brave souls, thank you. I want to dig back a little bit in history, maybe something that you're not familiar with. The Plantagenet dynasty. Anybody know about that? Okay. Came to pass. Oh, yeah, shit. These guys are great. The Plantagenet dynasty came to power in about the 1100s. Okay? The 1100s. And they were in power until around, about, around the time of Christopher Columbus in 1492. It's a pretty long time. Now, since that time, since the time of Christopher Columbus, there have been no Plantagenets on the throne in England. It was just like that in the Davidic dynasty. Now imagine God made a promise back in 1100 to the Plantagenet dynasty. This dynasty would continue forever. But then Christopher Columbus comes along. Well, this is just coincidental. But around about that time, Plantagenet dynasty is done. And for 500 years, there's no it had been like that for David. So what about God's promises? What about God's promises today? Verse 23. Of David's offspring, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Jesus was in the line of David. John the Baptist, verse 24 and 25, bore witness to him. God had not forgotten. God had not given up. So at the heart of this story, from Israel to the Exodus, to the conquest, to the kingdom, to Jesus, was God's faithfulness. But there's another thread that runs through the story, too. It's an equal thread. It goes right along with God's faithfulness. And that thread is rejection. Rejection. Verse 26, brothers, fellow Jews, God-fearers, Paul says, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. But, verse 27, the rulers in Jerusalem, because they did not recognize Jesus nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked God to have him executed. 
And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Here was Jesus, the culmination of those promises to Abraham, to Israel, to David, rejected. It's like a gift return. But this rejection of Jesus was nothing new. Like I said, this theme ran through the whole story. It was the common response to God's gifts over the centuries. Israel had largely rejected her mission, manifested in her desire to return to Egypt, in the fact that she became just like the Canaanites that she had displaced. All of God's gifts, in Abraham, in David, and now in Jesus, had been rejected. And as with all rejection, there was a face to this rejection. It was personal. It wasn't so much his gifts Israel was rejecting. It was God himself. And there was also a fallout to this rejection. There was a profound rupture between Israel and God. You know, back when I rejected the gift that my dad had given me, that actually became one of the catalysts for our reconciliation. In a very strange way, it was the spark for a restoration of trust of fidelity. And it was the same with God. You know, in a profound way, the people's rejection of him in Jesus became the very means by which reconciliation with him would happen. God met our act of rejection with an even greater act of his faithfulness. And the fallout of our rejection of God, the profound rupture between God and us, Jesus took that on himself his death on the cross. And he overcame this rupture. You can think of it in terms of his putting the rupture itself to death. And to demonstrate his defeat of the rupture, to show, to show that God's response, even in the face of our rejection, would always be faithfulness. Verse 30, Jesus was raised from the dead. And we bring you good news, Paul says in verse 32. That what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. And then Paul goes on to cite this catalog of psalms in support of the resurrection. And so there you have it, the message of the law, the prophets, the psalms, Jesus himself is the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God, even in the face of our rejection. But what does this mean for us? What is the fallout? God's faithfulness. And here we get to the message of the mission of God. Despite our rejection of Him, God offers us forgiveness through faith in Jesus. Despite our rejection of Him, God offers us forgiveness through faith in Jesus. Verse 38, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is free from everything from which you could not be free by the law of Moses. Forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. And there's a face to sins. Sins are personal. At heart, it's not God. You know, I just reject the, the purpose and the way of life that you have given. It's deeper than that. It's, no, God, I reject you. It's personal. Whether that's in those tiny moments of, of individual decisions we make, when the 
or whether that's the general course of all of our decisions. At the heart of sins in thought, word, and deed is personal rejection of God himself. And that's just the vertical dimension. Perhaps we can see the face of sins better in the horizontal dimension where sins are very personal. One to another. I'm supposed to love you, but instead I'll hold you in contempt. I'm supposed to love you, but instead I'll just fantasize about you. I'm supposed to love you, but hey, what's mine is mine, and it's mine, not yours. I'm supposed to love you, but if I can't use you, you're just an inconvenience. In short, I reject you. There is a face to sins. Sins are personal. There's a fallout to sins. Fallout is profound. All this rejection on our part, it produces a, a rupture between us and God. It produces a rupture between us and our neighbor. And it produces for us a weight of guilt, of shame, and regret. When you think back on all the relationships that we have ruptured, whether in, a, whether in a small way or in a big way, we think back on those and it weighs on us. We feel that guilt and that shame and regret. We wish we could have done otherwise. It's done, and it's ruptured. But again, despite all our rejection, God offers us forgiveness through faith in Jesus. Forgiveness. All that rejection, God decides he will not hold it against us. Why? Because of what Jesus has done, specifically what Jesus' death has done. Because the life of Jesus' blood covers up the decay and the death of all those ruptured relationships. You know, imagine a, a ledger, a book, all the personal ways that you have rejected God and others. It's a series of ruptures, one after another after another, and it all adds up to a kind of decay inside of you, a kind of death that you carry around. It's heavy. You're cut off from the life that God wanted you to have with him and that he wanted you to have with each other. But the life of Jesus' blood blots out every entry in that ledger. Every Rush is blotted out. And the fallout for you is that you're now free. You're free. Free from guilt and shame. And you're also free to bridge those ruptures. You're free to welcome the face of God and to welcome the face of others. You're free. God offers us forgiveness, the blotting out of all of our sins through faith in Jesus. Paul said, verse 39. And by him, that is Jesus, everyone who believes is free from everything from which he could not be freed by the law of Moses. You know, the law of Moses offered a kind of forgiveness through the life of animal blood. But it was blood that wouldn't last. It was like ink that would slowly fade over time and it had to be reapplied again and again and again, year after year after year. But not so the permanent ink of Jesus' blood. Not so the permanent life of Jesus' blood. It's the full and final gift of God, the full and final demonstration of God's faithfulness in the face of all of our rejection. And it's ours if we believe. God offers us forgiveness through faith in Jesus. That is, believing in Jesus. And faith is personal. It's not Jesus, I believe what you've done or that you've done. It's 
Jesus, I believe in you. You are the demonstration of God's faithfulness. And so I respond to you with faith, trust. Despite all our rejection, God offers us forgiveness through faith in Jesus. So believe. Believe. And we see an example of that in this text at the very end. The people who respond to this message, who believe this message, and are commended for that belief. Believe. But be warned. Be warned. Paul ended his message with these words, verse 40. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. You know, rejection can be active. It can be a deliberate spurning of the giver and his gift. Or it can be passive. It can just be a simple indifference to the giver and the gift. And whether you take the car that your dad gives you, you take a baseball bat to it, or you just leave it in the, the driveway to rust. Either way, it's rejection. Active or passive, it's rejection. It can be the same with us and the gift that God offers to us. Now, you're listening to this and you wonder, was this a message for Christians or for non-Christians? Yes. It's for both. For non-Christians, it's an invitation to lay aside all of your rejection to own the forgiveness of God Christ. And for Christians, it's a reminder that forgiveness is ongoing, that it doesn't run out. Despite all the ways that you reject God still, despite all the ways that you loathe yourself, Lord, I know you feel this. I know you feel this sometimes. Despite all of that, God offers you forgiveness through faith in Jesus. Freedom can be found Again, freedom can be found anew through renewed faith in Jesus. Because God is always faithful. How has He always responded to our rejection? By the offer of faithfulness, by the offer of forgiveness. God's faithfulness to Israel and to David, culminating in Jesus, was met with rejection. But rejection was met with the ultimate faithfulness of God. Jesus rejected and put to death. Put our rejection to death. He overcame the rupture between God and us with his resurrection life. And he did all of this so that the message of the mission of God would be clear for us. That despite all of our rejection, God offers us forgiveness and faith in Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.